0: Please open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. And we're going to be reading the first nine verses. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. This is God's word. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sari, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem. To the oak of Mora. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who would appear to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord and Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Let's pray. Thanks, Heavenly Father, for this portion of your word. Please help me in explaining it and applying it to each one of us today. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen. The highest compliment that one man can give to another is to say that he's steady. I read that in a novel years ago and I've been struck by it ever since. I'm thinking this morning about what makes a steady man, what makes a man who is faithful, what makes a man who is reliable, some of you all in this congregation are examples to me and to others of faithfulness and reliability. One of the problems our congregation has is that we have too few people who are gray hairs, gray heads. Now Tim, I do notice that with your haircut you are even grayer than I ever imagined. (laughs) But I'm not thinking of someone as young as my brother is. I'm thinking of people who are 20 and 30 years older. And as far as I can tell, one of the reasons we need those people um, in our congregation is they can speak to us of God's faithfulness. I think it was a great loss when uh, years ago um, a couple stopped attending our church because that, the That man, um, he was constantly um, telling and telling and telling the younger men in our church about the faithfulness of God. Um, As they raise young children, as they deal with toddlers, as they deal with teenagers, he would constantly. Tim, you know who I'm talking about and some of the rest of you do. Time and time again, he would do that. And that's one of the um, things that we need to pray for in this church that God would grant us older people who can speak to the younger ones of the faithfulness of God. When I think of faithfulness I oftentimes think and I know some of you have heard me speak about her before I think about uh, a woman who's about four feet eight inches tall um, probably weighs about 85-90 pounds. Um, Her name is Margie Hestand, and she was a missionary to North Africa um, in what used to be North Africa Mission, now Arab World Ministries. And the church I grew up in uh, supported Margie, and and we got to know her, and I prayed for Margie for many years. And I um, learned about her life. And Margie uh, began, I think, serving in Libya but I could be wrong but she served in in a number of the countries of the Maghrib, uh, Libya, Tunisia, Algeria and Morocco for about the last 20 or 30 years she was in Morocco um, high in the Atlas Mountains but if I remember correctly Margie did not see anyone come to Christ uh, for the first five or six or seven years of her ministry and I often imagined what would happen if Margie was a speaker at a missions conference Um, like they had missions conferences in the church in which I grew up where they would invite several missionaries who were home on furlough to come and speak to them and I always remember what would it have been like if we had invited Margie in those early years and if we had also invited Chuck Ramsey to speak Chuck Ramsey was a missionary to Bolivia and every time he would come back it was just amazing to us. Uh, Chuck would speak about um, the uh, church that he had planted and how that church had gone on and planted more and more and more churches and how they'd started a seminary and a radio station and they were doing all these things and it was simply amazing. what God was doing in Bolivia and so I imagined Chuck standing up and and saying that and then I imagined Margie standing up and saying well this last year there were a couple of people that I was able to share the gospel with young girls and five or six of them received Christ but each one of them later went back on their commitment and renounced Christ and I thought how can, how, can, uh, how can Chuck stand up and then Margie stand up? And how can she say that? What keeps her there with no visible fruit? Um, I think it must be a few things and I'm gonna speak on one of them this morning. A firm belief in the sovereignty of God, a belief in the faithfulness of God, and ultimately a belief in the mercy of God that's the only thing that's going to keep you steady as a missionary as a pastor as an elder because there are years when there is no fruit on the vine and when things are very difficult Terry and I were here with you just a few months ago and it does feel kind of odd to be here um, uh, because I think it was Curtis where are you Curtis Uh, Curtis saw Terry walk into church and, and he said you know I just realized you're not supposed to be here uh, um, but yes Curtis it was true that we were here not that long ago but I think Terry and I are different I know I am than when I left here in July because it was the most uh, difficult three or four months that we've had in ministry um, it was a battle and I'm, I'm not the same I'm not sure I'm in such a good state spiritually uh, because when you're in a battle um, it's hard to take your spiritual temperature as Stephen said this is kind of a Sunday that's somewhat unique during the year because it's a Sunday when we look backward at the year that's past and also look forward And I know some of you are are saying, I don't want to look back. I'm looking forward. And for some of you, it might have been a a good year. But as we look forward and as we look backward, I want to urge you very strongly to look to the faithfulness of God. And the best example that I can think of in the scriptures where the faithfulness of God is taught is the book of Genesis. Genesis and it is specifically the life of abraham god showed himself faithful to abraham time and time and time again so this morning i want to speak about how we see god's faithfulness in his promises we see god's faithfulness in his people and we see god's faithfulness in his promises of christ and all of that ultimately goes back to the first three verses of Genesis chapter 12 so I want to speak at the beginning here and I, where's Jody Jody thank you uh, um, when I prepare sermons without my books I kind of feel like I've got no shirt on um, and uh, there was a book I was looking for and so I was, I was searching all through Tim's library. I was staring in the window of Stephen's uh, office to see, is it in there? I was trying keys to see if I could get in there. And I said, I know one of the young guys has it. I don't know whether it's Jake or Jody, but their office is locked. And so I, I spent a long time, uh, oh, I found, I found the, uh, the chapter that I needed in a sermon. And so I was listening to that last night. And then I just happened to walk down to Jake and Jody's office and lo and behold, their doors were open. Uh, And so I I found it, Jody, in your office. Um, We see God's faithfulness in his promises. God's faithfulness is closely closely linked with his eternity and his immutability. Immutability. That God is eternal means he had no beginning and will have no end. And I simply can't talk to you about that because God's eternity fills me with fear. And I really can't think about it for very long. But he had no beginning and he will have no end. His immutability is a little bit easier. It means that God in his being, in his attributes, in his purposes, and in his promises, they do not change. God is forever who he is his attributes are forever his his purposes do not change his promises do not change God's faithfulness is eternal he will always keep his promises and his purposes and promises will never change now if you look in this passage in Genesis chapter 12 there are a total of eight promises God says very personally to Abraham or to Abram at this time I will make you a great nation I will bless you I will make your name great I will make you a blessing I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and I will bless all the families of the earth in your seed and also down a little bit farther in verse 7 he promises to give the land of Canaan to the descendants of Abraham. Eight eight promises. If you read over the next couple of chapters of the book of Genesis, you see very clearly that God's promises do not change. God reaffirmed his promises to Abram many times and he reaffirmed them to his son Isaac and his his grandson Jacob God told Abram again in chapter 13 that he would give this land to, to him and to his descendants he told him that he would make him a great nation like the dust of the earth we see evidence of God's blessing also in chapter 13 in that God gave Abram great material wealth. In chapter 14, it records how that priest of God, Most High Melchizedek, blessed Abram. And I could go on this morning, chapter by chapter, through the book of Genesis, showing how God reaffirmed his promises time after time after time and made them more specific and how he ultimately fulfilled them. I want us to think about that this morning because each one of you, if you're a Christian, are relying on certain promises this morning. And indeed, you are staking your life on those promises. If those promises are not true, you're without hope. I'm without hope. Just as God reaffirm the promises to Abram. We need to remind ourselves today of the faithfulness of God that he will fulfill those promises that he has made to us. I want us to also think about how God overcame obstacles in the life of Abram as he fulfilled those promises. A lot of us and I think some of you are going to be fairly nervous about some of the things I say this morning and I want you to be nervous because sometimes we're tempted to think that the fulfillment of God's promises depends on us maybe even just a little bit men and women they do not The promises of God and their fulfillment depend on God and on God alone. And I want you to feel uncomfortable with that. Because I know all the things that you're thinking of in your head. God overcomes the lies of Abraham in chapter 12. If you read verses 10 through 20, you see that there was a famine in the land and how Abram had to go down to Egypt with his wife and he had a problem his wife was very attractive and he said I want you to say that you're my sister not my wife and how ultimately Sarah or Sarah at this time was taken from Abraham and taken into Pharaoh's house and how the Lord then struck Pharaoh in his house with great plagues and how Pharaoh figured out somehow that he'd actually taken away not Abram's sister but his wife and then he gave her back well that, that was wrong of Abram to do that that was a, a misstep that was a sin that was a failure of faith a failure of nerve but God overcame that you can look at chapter 15 where Abram is starting to doubt and he's he's saying oh God we're childless and Eliezer of Damascus is my heir you have given me no offspring you have given me no seed and God overcomes those doubts God overcomes the barrenness of Sarah's womb God overcomes Abram's attempts to fulfill the promise on his own in chapter 16. And again, I could go on in each of the chapters to show you the obstacles that God overcame in Abram's life. Abram was not, at the beginning, a person of strong faith. We find out from other scriptures that he was actually an idolater when God first called him. But God made out of this man a man of faith, a steady man, a reliable man, a man who trusted in God's promises. I've told many of you in the past that there is a a plague that's swept through Africa and it's worse than AIDS. AIDS. Some of you might have thought that that's what I was going to say, but uh, the prosperity gospel has taken root in many of the churches in Africa. Certainly the churches in our country, in Zambia, it's taken root. And this really goes against that. They love to talk about how um, Abram was a wealthy man, rich in livestock, silver and gold, and how God promised to bless him. Well, God's promise of blessings certainly did not lead to a life of ease for Abram. He had to go as a refugee to another country because of a famine where his wife was stolen from him and nearly violated sexually. He had to endure conflict with his nephew Lot. He had to intervene in a tribal war to rescue Lot who had been kidnapped. Yes, God delivered Abram time after time but he encountered difficulty after difficulty after difficulty there were two Scottish preachers from the 18th century and this is where your book comes in Jody their names were Ralph and Ebenezer Erskine and what they preached time and time and time again were the promises of God Ralph Erskine tells us that just as water comes to a city from a distant source by water mains so that we can drink from a faucet, so the water of life comes from the triune God through the pipes of his promises, bringing the gospel right to our mouths so that we can drink our fill. The pipes of his promises. Bring the water of life near to us, to our mouths, so that we can drink it if we're going to be people of faith if we're going to be reliable people if we're going to be steady men and women you have to see God's faithfulness to his promises and today you need to be relying on those promises and let me speak to the uh, young people Your minds are quick. My mind is slowing down. Memorize the scriptures while you're young because when you get older it becomes more difficult to memorize the scriptures. But memorize those promises. You'll have to repeat them many times sometimes you'll have to repeat those promises to yourself when you're struggling to believe them I know you'll have to repeat those promises to the enemy of our souls because he does not want you to claim and stake your life on those promises and everything in the world stands against you relying on those promises so you'll have to quote them somehow to the, to the world. But memorize them. Commit them to memory. Meditate on them. The Erskine said that there are all kinds of promises. The promise that Nathan Alberson needs to claim might not be the promise that Don Spadey needs to claim. That's okay. There's a, there are promises designed for Nathan Alberson, there are promises designed for Dawn there are promises designed for Linda there are promises designed for David Canfield when God inspired his prophets to write the scriptures he had David Canfield in mind when he gave certain promises and David needs to commit those promises to memory And to remind himself of them. And to remind his wife of them. And to remind us, his people, of them. Pretty closely related to that, we see God's faithfulness in his people. And specifically, I'm thinking of, we see God's faithfulness in people like Abram. if you're going to select a builder for a house or an architect to design your church building what do you do? if you were going to ask my brother to build a house for you and you didn't know him you'd want to look and say what other houses have you built? are they sturdy? are they lasting? are they safe? are they attractive? what kind of buildings has an architect designed the book of Genesis shows how God's faithfulness built a man of faith and that was Abraham the first promise that God gave back in Genesis chapter 12 look back at verse 2 of Genesis 12 I will make you a great nation when God made that promise to him, Abram was 75 years old. And it must have come as a great encouragement because he was 75 and had no children. No sons, no heirs. He and Sarah were childless. And now God was telling him that he would have descendants. And not just descendants, he would have a multitude of them. So Abraham must have been thinking, okay, great. What happens next? Well, we've already discussed how a famine forced him to flee to Egypt where his wife was kidnapped. He tries to lie to preserve her, but it doesn't work. How can he become a great nation without his wife? Seems like the promise was in jeopardy. But again, God intervenes and restores Sarah to Abram. As if to reassure Abram, God repeats the promise again in chapter 13. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust, the granules of dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. In chapter 14, Abram himself almost loses his own life in warfare with Chedor Laomer. Even though his life was pres- preserved, we find a discouraged and despairing Abram in chapter 15. I'm not sure I'd ever read chapter 15 in this light but look at the early verses there. After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what wilt thou give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, since thou hast given me no seed to me, one born in my house is my heir. That's beyond despair. That's an accusation. You have not fulfilled your word to me. And this is years after God first made that promise to Abram. What does God do? In verse 4 he says, This man will not be your heir but one who shall come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abram believes God's promise. In the scriptures of the rest of the of the Bible look back to this as the point at which Abram was justified where God imputed his righteousness to his servant Abram that's great and that was a turning point but it doesn't look like much of a turning point as you read the book of Genesis we don't always know what's going on in the spiritual realm because if you look at chapter 16 Abram says well it looks like I've got to figure out some way to fulfill this promise and so Sarah gives her Egyptian maid Hagar to Abram and a child is born Ishmael lots of problems have come from that failure of nerve that failure of faith those doubting those taking into Abram's own hands but God would not allow it God said he would fulfill his promise and Abraham would not be the one to fulfill it God would do it Sarah will be the mother not Hagar Isaac will be the boy's name not Ishmael In Abram's life, God overcomes the accusations, the doubts, the laughter, and makes Abram into a man of faith. This is what I mean. God's faithfulness begets a man full of faith. In this world, and, I, and, I, and I'm looking at some of you this morning, and I'm understanding the difficulty that some of you might have in believing in God's faithfulness. Because you and I live in the same world, and in this world we have our fill of broken covenants, broken contracts, broken vows, broken promises, broken marriages. And the more that you and I stare at those, that brokenness, the more we shrivel up and die. And so this passage, this, these, these chapters of the book of Genesis tell us to look away from the world and turn to the faithfulness of God and turn to his promises. The book of Romans talks about how Abraham contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief but grew strong in faith giving glory to God and being fully assured that what he had promised he was able also to perform. God's faithfulness to his promise, God's ability to fulfill the promise that he has made to Abram, that he made to Sarah that he's made to you and to me God's almighty power and his absolute faithfulness his absolute reliability somehow Abram looked at his own body now as good as dead and it said that he did that as he did that he did not grow weak in faith that would be the normal thought that we would have that looking at his own body would cause him to grow weak in faith but somehow it didn't and he also looked at the deadness of Sarah's womb but most of all he looked at the promise of God and he did not waver in unbelief because he knew that God could do what he promised here's where you're going to get more uncomfortable with me some of you this morning have trouble believing in the promises of God God will overcome your unbelief he can overcome your unbelief and he will I don't know how he will do it but he saves his people in his own way and he overcomes unbelief now you saw me slip in a word there and maybe you're thinking ah now I get it he's slipping in election he said if you're one of God's people how do I know if I'm one of God's people men and women don't think about election if you're not sure of your salvation don't think about it I always tell my students in Zambia and I give them the illustration of Charles Spurgeon and Spurgeon spoke of election and the free offer of the gospel like it was a door so I want you all to imagine right here a door and up above this door above the top it says whosoever believes may enter and so you believe and you enter and you now look at the door from the other side and on the top it says predestined from before the foundation of the world and I always tell my students that what we want to do is we want to stand on this side of the doorway and go like this can't do that can't do that the promises of God are for each one of you without exception each one of you believe the promises of God believe them rest on them claim them for yourself finally my third point is that we see God's faithfulness in his promises in Christ if you look back at chapter 12 of Genesis to the last promise in verse 3 and in you and as the rest of the scriptures make clear and in your seed All the families of the earth shall be blessed. The whole of the New Testament makes clear that the seed of Abraham is Christ. The first verse of the Gospel of Matthew reads, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the seed of Abraham in the third chapter of Galatians is explicit now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed he does not say into seeds as referring to Abraham as referring to many but rather to one into your seed that is Christ how has that promise been fulfilled I can think of it in a couple ways I believe the the most clear way is that all the families of the earth are blessed through Christ since Christ has redeemed some from every one of the families of the earth. In the new heavens and the new earth, as Stephen read to us a little while ago, there will be some from every family of the earth who have been redeemed through Christ. But that's not all. I think each one of you realizes that our world is becoming much more hostile to the gospel. And some of you, especially those who are attending high school and college, might be tempted to be ashamed of Christianity, ashamed of Christ. And let me just reassure you you have no reason to be ashamed. No reason to be ashamed. Atheism and agnosticism does not cause people to leave their life and to go to the jungles of the Amazon and serve people as a doctor. Nobody does that because they're an atheist. Nobody does that because they're an agnostic. People do that because they love Christ more than anything else. I was reading a very challenging uh, article last night about surgeons in Africa and how uh, statisticians say that there needs to be at least one surgeon for every 20,000 people. And they were talking about how in many African countries there are just a handful of surgeons to do their to do that work and it was talking about in this article and it wasn't in a Christian magazine it was talking about how the people who are going and who are training surgeons are believers in Christ and they don't actually compromise they only accept into their program those who are believers in Christ because they found that if you're not a believer in Christ once you get trained in surgery you go off to somewhere where you can make a healthy salary. So they only train believers. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. Men and women, believers are the good guys in the history of the world. Everywhere that Christianity has gone, people have started clinics and hospitals and schools They've trained people. They've taught people. Men and women. This is the truth. Atheists don't do this. Agnostics don't do this. Hindus don't do this. Muslims don't do this. People who have staked their lives on the promises of God, they do this. So all the families of the earth have been blessed through Abram's seed. Some have been redeemed through Christ but all have benefited in many ways. The promise is like a cup but Christ is the drink held in the cup. Faith does not merely take hold of the cup and look at the drink. Faith drinks Christ from the cup of God's promises. Just like God was able and willing to fulfill his promises to Abraham So Christ is an almighty Savior, able and willing to save to the uttermost anyone who will come to God for such. Just as God made many promises to Abraham, so he makes many promises to us in Christ. Ralph Erskine mentioned those promises in one of his sermons. And I'm going to do what I'm not supposed to do, but I'm going to actually read a portion of, of that sermon the promise contains salvation from sin from the guilt of sin from the filth of sin from the power of sin from the sting of sin from the stain of sin from the fruit of sin from the fountain of sin Erskine went through the promises and said there are promises for each of those. In the scriptures there are promises of salvation from wrath, from the law, from justice, from death, from hell, from the world, from the devil, and from unreasonable men. Salvation from troubles and reproaches and fears and doubts and faintings. Salvation from desertion and despondency from wants and weakness, from wrongs and injuries done to your names or otherwise. Salvation from all woes and weariness. Salvation from backsliding and apostasy. Yes, from backsliding and apostasy. Salvation from plagues and all imperfections. Innumerable positive salvations and mercies. Pardoning mercy, sin-subduing mercy, healing mercy, conquering mercy, comforting mercy, upholding mercy, grace-increasing mercy, and perfecting mercy. Sanctifying mercy, to sanctify all providences, all crosses, all relations. Defending mercy, strengthening mercy, helping mercy, following mercy, enlightening, enlivening, enlarging mercy. Mercy for supplying your wants, dispelling your fears, covering your infirmities hearing your prayers and ordering all things for your good and salvation to everlasting life and glory and immortality. Men and women, do you have those promises memorized? You need to. Just as God justified Abram through faith alone, so he will justify us through faith in Christ alone by faith only we are united to christ and so he becomes to us our righteousness and our sanctification please don't listen to those people who say that we are united to christ by baptism we are not we are united to christ by faith alone to say that we are united to christ by baptism is one of the greatest errors of the roman catholic church and unfortunately it's being propounded by many within our circles. We are united to Christ by faith alone. And as united to Christ, he then is our righteousness. He then is our sanctification. He is everything to us. And just as God justified Abram through faith alone, so he will impute to us the righteousness of Christ through faith in Christ alone. Just as God made a covenant with Abram, to do what he had promised, so God has made a covenant with Christ to give Christ a people whom no man can number in exchange for Christ's obedience. That's my sermon. I want you this morning to reflect and think and pray over the faithfulness of God to his promises. I want you as a result of this sermon to mind the word of God for his promises. Look for them, find them, believe them, apply them to your need. Let those promises be like the pipe that brings Christ to you and then feed on Christ. Come to Christ, rest on him, trust in him, cast yourself on him. John Bunyan was a a man of very tender conscience. Like many Puritans of that era, he was much exercised over the doctrine of election. And the verse that finally brought rest to Bunyan's soul was John 6, 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. If you cast yourself on Christ this morning, he will never cast you out. I don't want you simply to mine the word of God for his promises. I want you to plead the promises of God in prayer. Each one of you should make a list of promises and claim those promises every day until God fulfills them. I pray certain promises for the people in that row right over there. Wow, oh, I don't pray for you, Anna. Sorry. And I'll just pretend you're, you're John. and uh, He's uh, suffering under chipmunk disease this morning from having his wisdom teeth out. But I pray those promises for those people every single day. Claiming those promises by faith. The scriptures say that we are to give God no rest. To pray the promises to him and to claim them and to take his own word, his own promises and ask him to fulfill them. Men and women, do you have any, any thoughts in your head that if you do that, that God will disappoint you? Talk to some of the hoary heads here. He will not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this portion of your word where you made promises to Abram. And I thank you that your word is a book of promise. Promises for Nathan, promises for Dawn, promises for David, promises for Wayne, promises for each one of us, O God. And I pray, O God, that we will hook ourselves into these promises and believe them and let them lead us to Christ and then feed on him. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would also give you no rest and praying that you fulfill your promises. Oh God, you will not let us down. Thank you for that. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.